with another episode of Adams County Unwrapped, where we find very special people in and around Adams County who have made an incredible impact in 2023, and we're looking forward to 2024. So today I have with me from the Children's Advocacy Center, um, is that, did I say it correctly? Correct, Adams County Children's Advocacy Center. That's a lot to say. Yes. We have um, Irene, pa Irene Powell, who's a board member, and of course the executive director we have here, Elida, Elida Murray. Murray. Yeah. So thank you, we're, we're appreciative to have the opportunity. Absolutely. To yeah. talk about what we've been doing. Please do, tell us, what is the Adams County Children's Advocacy Center? What, how long has it been around and what does it do? Who does it serve? Yeah, so um, the CAC as we call it, you'll hear that little acronym throughout this to keep it from saying Adams County Children's Advocacy Center 52 times. But um, the CAC was founded in 2006 and really um, it's a pretty amazing story in that a group of community members in Adams County got together and said, hey, um, we uh, have child abuses unfortunately a part of our community and we have a responsibility to investigate child abuse and so let's figure out the best way to do that. And at the time, um, the National Children's Advocacy Center movement was kind of rolling and getting started and so I'm really proud to say that, you know, I say this a lot, Little Adams County was really in the forefront in Pennsylvania. We were one of the first CACs following like um, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, York County was in that similar time frame where as a nonprofit, we bring together all of the investigative partners for child abuse, but most importantly, our role as a children's advocacy is, is to support children and families as they're going through this trauma of the investigative process, the treatment process, and all of those things so that they can, you know, they can heal from, from, the, um, from the issue of child abuse or neglect. So this started with just somebody coming up with an idea, saying, hey, there's a gap in this system here what do we do to close that gap? Precisely. And, and yeah. through that, you probably found that there's many, many people that need to be involved. It's not just one thing. So what are some of the involvements? Right, right. so when we talk about it from a you know, mission, vision, values place, we're responsible for coordinating the efforts in terms of prevention, intervention, investigation, treatment of child abuse. So. Um, as a CAC, we're working with law enforcement or children and youth services, but most importantly at the CAC, we're working directly with children and families. And then that's the one arm, what we'll call the direct support component of the work that we do. But then there's also the prevention because certainly we will always be here to support child victims and their families, but we really wanna stop abuse before it happens and that's child abuse prevention education. So. I want to go back to the portion where we serve almost one-stop shopping. A child victim, if someone has reported child abuse and it comes to the point where it's going to be investigated, in the past, that child would have to tell that story over and over yes. and over, and that's not good. So you come to the Children's Advocacy Center and our highly trained forensic interviewers are the ones conducting the interviews that will benefit all of the other agencies that are going to come into play and be involved. Right. So that and it's person done, is that voice advocate for the child 
pretty much. One up. We have advocates too. We have child and family <laughs> advocates too in their role and they even are working with the family even before the child and the family visits our center because they're our first point of contact with families. So they're making a phone call saying, hey, we received a referral and we're just checking in with you. How can we help you? What information can we share? Um, maybe they're doing crisis counseling on that first phone call because, you know, you have to put yourself in the position or the place of a child and a caregiver. And as a caregiver, it's such a stressful, traumatic, sometimes guilt-inducing environment when your child has been harmed in some way. You know, that's, that, that affects everyone in a family so system. So back to the child, only telling the story one time, mm -hmm. that's and one of the goals. It is recorded. So that it's that interview is recorded, so that can be used. It can be going used forward. and shared, obviously, only with the need to know people. Right, right. So it's very private, and it's in a comfortable setting. And part of what we're doing in establishing a new, improved, brighter mm -hmm. tomorrow center is creating an even better and more welcoming right. space for all of that to occur, because we have outgrown our current location. Well, how long have each of you been with? So I've been with the center going on six years. Um, before I came to Adams County, I actually was um, introduced to the CAC move um, in Adams County from a, by the former executive director. I was serving, doing some consulting work in organizational management. But even prior to that, I had worked in Baltimore at the Baltimore Child Abuse Center. So this concept of child advocacy centers is just really near and dear to my heart. And when I had the opportunity, um, when the outgoing executive director was going to move on to another career opportunity, she called me up and said, if you're interested, I'm like, I'm absolutely interested. And then I think, what, I think about a year and a half later, give or take, you I'm not joined. sure. I've been, I've been a board member coming into my fourth year now. Right. right. From a former elementary school background, former social worker that placed children with disabilities in foster homes, mm -hmm. did advocacy and case management and recruiting and orientation. And actually, and a parent of seven. Wow. So and I tend to forget we were foster parents <laughs> for, yeah. for a while. Yeah. But new to Gettysburg since 2014. So you were both called to work with children mm -hmm. yeah. decades ago yeah. for a multitude yes. of reasons. Kids are our thing. It's a good way of putting Kids it. Kids are our, yeah. are our thing. And also, you know, when you think about it from, and I could say all the, you know, kind of cachet thing, like children are our future and it takes a village and all that, but truly, you know, what better thing can we do than help kids have happy, healthy lives? It does take a village. Mm -hmm. True that. And we are, especially with our prevention services, we are Adams County Children's Advocacy Center. We're based in Gettysburg, but our prevention specialist is in all the schools in the county. And coming from the background that I have, I'm always impressed that most folks don't realize the level of abuse and neglect in their own county, in their own neighborhoods, in their own communities. Yeah. It's here. Why do you and think takes, that is? Why do you think people don't recognize it? Well, everybody's insular and they have their own families and their own circle of influence. Okay. And maybe could it be that people might not know what it looks like? Ah. Possibly, and I think there's also, there's, you know, historically there is so much shame built around the concept of child abuse, most especially around child sexual abuse. And 
Um, I think one of the, you know, people can disagree with me and I'd be happy to, you know, take your calls or emails if you do, but I think one of the most beautiful things about Adams County is that everyone knows each other so well and they take care of each other and stuff like that, but the counter can also be true because you know people, you just can't imagine that something bad might be happening in their home. Mm -hmm. Something bad might be happening to a child because you think that we're all good people. Good mm -hmm. people wouldn't do such a thing. Well, um, you know, I wish that were always true. And I think, too, there isn't a specific demographic. Absolutely So not. I think maybe people don't recognize it because they're looking for a demographic, but that, like you just said. That's exactly right could be anyone. And child abuse is a complex issue. There's so many socioeconomic factors that come into play. None of them are a, a direct link, but they all are kind of causal to that. They all kind of complete that component where children are at greater risk. So all of those things come into play. It's very complex. And from a community's perspective, that's why it takes a community to make you know, make a difference. It's that see something, say something. Mm -hmm. And how do you educate the public on what to see mm -hmm. and where to say mm -hmm. it. Yeah, so prevention education for adults is a very big piece of what we want to do. Um, in addition, as Irene mentioned, that we are in all the Adams County um, school districts doing child um, school-based um, prevention education. It's called Child Safety Matters. If you have children, your children have probably brought home little bookmarks and said, hey, mom or dad, you're my safe adult. And if something happens to me, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you. If I'm uncomfortable about something, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you. That's the education we do with children um, because we want them to feel empowered to be able to say, I don't, I don't really like that so much, and I'm going to talk to somebody about that. Or I'm worried about something, and I'm going to talk about that. That's a prevention in and of itself. But I'm really, really strong. I have very strong opinions about this. Children are not responsible for protecting themselves. We are responsible as adults for protecting them. So um, what the experts say is that when 5% of a community's adults know how to react, respond, report child abuse, that's the tipping point for child abuse in a Five percent. Five percent. That's the tipping point where child abuse allegations and reporting and all of the negativity that is involved with incidences of child abuse, that's when a community will see a positive change. So our Children's Advocacy Center is open and willing to come to any group, any church, any social club, anything like that where we would have a presentation to help people understand what those red flags are, what, what concerns should they be looking for. Mm -hmm. Because I think, I think sometimes, you know, people have that, you know, it's not my problem, I shouldn't interfere, I'm not gonna say not anything. Not really sure. But isn't it better to make that report to the, to the child line, the hotline, you know, to call, mm -hmm. make that report and be wrong. Protect How much child. better is that than not making the report and find out that, oh, you were the person that should have done that calling. You could have done that call. Yeah. So what would, can you name just a few red flags that you would do a presentation on that, that 
maybe some of our viewers? Yeah, so I can say um, to get a complete list of red flags, you can go out to our website. Yeah. It's chock full of resources and it's very easy to navigate. So really quick, our website is www.kidsagaincac.org and all of that is out there. But definitely when you're talking about, mm, I may be concerned, maybe it's my child, I may be concerned that there's something going on. Is there a behavior change? Um, maybe if they were very, very outgoing and social, now they're withdrawn. Maybe they were withdrawn and now they're kind of in a, acting very differently. V young children often um, kind of regress developmentally, um, especially older children and teens. Almost always there is a degree of isolation that they're, that they're really trying to isolate themselves. And I say that as, as a parent of four children, they were all teenagers, they all like to hide in their rooms for like three years at a time, I get it. <laughs> but um, but there's, there's different differences. And so as a, a family, any changes in the way that your child normally is, is something to at least kind of kind of reflect like what could be happening. Um, in terms of protecting of children, we're heading into the holidays. We just finished Thanksgiving and you know Christmas and Hanukkah and as all of that is happening now. Um, a lot of times this is a time, unfortunately, where children are at greater risk. And that is because um, you're in larger community settings for events perhaps, or you're in a larger family with maybe not your immediate family, but a very large extended family. Um, over the, over the school breaks, kids often, um, not always, but often maybe they're with a sitter that they don't know as well or they're not as familiar with, or they're with older um, cousins or you know, not, not people that they're familiar with all the time. So there's greater opportunities there. So that's a really good time for parents and caregivers to pay attention to like, what's going on with my kiddo? Um, and don't be afraid to do some things like nothing wrong with FaceTiming your kid right, in the middle of the day, say, how's it going, and just checking in, or just popping in in a, at a time frame that you weren't planned to be there. Things like that can help in terms of creating that, that kind of eyes-on environment. Um, so that's kind of for the parents or immediate family members, but even in the neighborhood, um, if there are children who are um, being left uh, like, you know, unsupervised over the holidays, that's something to be aware of as well or if things just don't seem right, um, it's better to make that phone call to Childline and say something. Now, if you feel like a child's in immediate danger, then you should be calling 911. Please do that. But Childline is a very easy thing. You can report anonymously. So um, that's not really a concern if you're, if you're fearful of someone finding out that you made that report. You can report anonymously, but please, by all means, just report. For, for those who might not be immediate family, maybe they're a caregiver, a teacher, or a neighbor, it, is there a question that you could ask a child to help get some of that information? Because I could only imagine not knowing how to approach a child and say, hey, are you experiencing this? So do you help people know how to approach these topics? Yeah, I think, I think the most important thing is to not, like, interrogate your child. Um, just, just have a conversation. I often find, and I'm sure there are many parents out there, you probably know that, kids talk best in the car. Mm. You can get, all, especially teenagers, you can get a whole lot of information happening in the car that you can't get in a face-to-face. -face. So you're driving along, just say, so tell me, walk me through, what'd you do today, and how'd you do it? And then if you get a point where you sense a hesitation or something like that, 
or, you know, or, and you may not be able to totally get this, but like paying attention to body language, that can tell you a whole lot. And then, you know, you just have to reinforce, no matter what you tell me, it was, it's going to be okay. Because children naturally feel that if something's happened, it must be their fault. Right. So assuring them that no matter what, you are not going to be in trouble is a really good way to do that. I, I would ask you, though, as just parents, and I, I apologize if I sound preachy or I'm giving too much parenting advice, but you should be having these conversations with your kids all the time, right? If you're a teacher or somebody who's not within the family. It's kind of the same thing. You're looking for changes and... It's established... It's that rapport building. For teachers, you have to have that establishment with your students all along. But back to, you know, when you're driving, so you're not driving with students, but, um, but the, the dynamic there is side by side and not yeah. face by face. Oh, True. that's, that's a very side good side. point. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Why? Just you, Nobody's looking at me as I say this very hard thing. More comfort for the mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also add. maybe for the parent, like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> right, know? right. Yeah. Well, these are extremely hard topics. I'm going to ask you, do you think people not recognize, as we talked about, a, abuse because it, we, we think it looks one way. Has it shifted and changed? In does online abuse happen? And are we learning how to educate our parents and those guardians about that? So there is a lot of online um, abuse. Um, you know, some of the some of the access that that our kids have in terms of um, some of the applications are just set up to be natural entry areas for predators. You know, they, a predator, I mean, if you read the paper at any given point there, I think it was this morning, there was a whole yes. story about someone who by um, pretending to be a teenage boy managed to, you know, get teenage girls and, and have, and have very inappropriate conversations and activities along. And it was all in line. And this, these teenage girls had no idea no idea that they weren't talking so to a peer. So it goes back to a parenting, family, guardian situation where you're really keeping tabs. I also had two teenagers in my home <laughs> and uh, two boys. And, you know, they, they don't want to share with mom. They don't want to talk to mom. So it's, it's daily check-ins and monitoring the behavior and really knowing what is their baseline? What is my child's baseline on a good day, on a bad day, on a test day? Mm -hmm. um, so you, you really, as a parent, the pulse of your child is your everyday interaction. You just have to be aware because... I'm and, gonna go back to... Oh, go ahead. Um, it takes a village. I had a school principal years ago that she would always remind everybody at the beginning of the school year, all parents want what's best for their child. Absolutely. However, some parents <laughs> can't provide. They can't step up and do that. And that's what we see often is parents who are not keeping their eye out, who are not willing. So it does take the village. It does take the teachers to keep their eyes and ears open. It does take the neighbors to see if a child has been out. Not so much, I mean, um, I like free range. I mean, we grew up, we had the run of the neighborhood until, you know, the streetlights came on or it was dark. 
we're and that's not great. in that world anymore. But we're not in that world anymore. But if you see a child outside, totally unoccupied, you know, not with other kids, if they're, if they're even in a neighborhood setting, if you're in a rural setting, boy, it's really hard to spot those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah and um, I wanted to kind of link into what you said about, you know, and sometimes our parents, um, by nature of how um, their childhood was, they don't have right. the tools. Right. And so that's another piece that we see at the right. center too, is sometimes we're addressing generational cycles of abuse. And so you have a caregiver who's trying to learn how to support their child, but they haven't really addressed their own trauma mm -hmm. of the child abuse that they suffered. And so then our child and family advocates and our therapists are really trying to work that through as well. Could a family member call your center and say, I just need help, I'm not, I'm not able to make Absolutely. it day to day. I'm struggling. And yeah. what would you do for somebody like so that? So then our child and family advocates would try to suss out the information a little bit and figure out what's the best avenue. It may be that our child and family advocates are the best avenue to support that, but they, it may be that there's another community partner. Um, for instance, there's a center for families in Gettysburg, but it serves all of Adams County that does wonderful work with just supporting families. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so there's lots of things, lots of tools that we can bring, you know, to bear to help, to help families. One of the exciting things we're doing at the center now is we're beginning to provide, so we do all the help for the initial forensic interviews and support the child and caregivers and other family members throughout right. their whole experience and their whole process. We do provide mental health therapy services for the children, but we also now are creating um, support spaces for victims of abuse prior. Like adult children. survivors and, of abuse. And also now for the first time for adult survivors, which right. is really exciting because what you learn is that children or young and teenagers, mm -hmm. they won't report what happened. Maybe not until they're well into their adulthood do they realize, oh, this is still causing huge problems for me in my life. Mm -hmm. And they need support. So we have adult support groups now too, right. which is thrilling. That is incredible. So you've I've already But heard, we need a lot of space. Yeah. We need more we need more room. To do all of this work. <laughs> yeah. This is incredible. I've already heard a few things that you've innovated and created, such as just starting with the child telling the story one time. Mm -hmm. you're, you're understanding the scope of how this impacts. It, it, so child abuse deeply. is a life-defining event. And so our goal, as we're in terms of working with children, our goal is to make it life-defining but not life-destroying, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because you're, if, you, if you're not able to get the support you need to address that trauma in real time as a child, you're going to carry it on your back um, for a very long time until hopefully you can figure out, oh my gosh, this is impacting my quality of life. It impacts the decisions that I'm making as an adult. I'm, I'm probably not being as successful as I could because I'm carrying all this stuff around with me. But, um, but it doesn't have to be that way, and that's really the goal. But at any point in time along that life trajectory, there's still hope that you can put that burden down, and that's what we're invested in. There's a lot of recent research that points to how all of those past traumatic experiences, adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. affect your health. 
Absolutely. Right. Just your physical right. health. There is a physical component. And I we, believe we track And we track ACEs. That's called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. We track ACEs for all of the children who come into our center. And unfortunately, our average Adverse Childhood Experiences score, which is a 1 to 10 score, is 5.28. And what that really means is that this child, be, their th be they three years old or 18 years old, they have had between five and six adverse experiences already, trauma-inducing experiences in their lives. It can be the physical or sexual abuse allegation that we're dealing with in the forefront. It can be domestic violence in the home or drug use in the home or homelessness or food insecurity. Um, all of those things, incarcerated parents are a, are a big driver mm. of a lot of trauma, as well as loss within a family system. So all of those things can really impact a child trauma-wise. And so what we find is our child and advocates are not necessarily only addressing one type of incident, but they're just the whole system of things that have gone um, horribly wrong for a child that we can help unpack it um, and make it not not such a traumatic and help set them up with going tools forward. to Precisely. move forward. Correct. Because just Precisely. like you said, carrying that trauma with you for decades on your mental and mm -hmm. physical health, yeah, exactly, can destroy relationships, mm -hmm. success in the workplace, family success. Right. Lead to other things. But but we also it's really important to understand and to recognize that children. Um, grow and develop within the construct of their family system. And so that's why all our family supports are so important. The most important person or persons in terms of a child's um, overcoming a, a negative trauma situation or incidents is the support of their caregiver, their, their primary caregiver, caregivers, but also their family system. And so that's why working with the whole family is so critical. Because so, if we give yeah. caregivers tools, I mean, we even in therapy, we may see a child for an hour, an hour and a half once a week, but a good caregiver who understands these are some of the reactions that my child with trauma might have, they're there 24-7. We definitely want them to have all of the supports that they need that to be able incredible. to support their child. So would you say the goal is for these children to make, get back into the household and have that be a healthy, strong Mm -hmm. household with those individuals recognizing, understanding, and then themselves having the tools right. how to assist that individual child Correct. through it. Because it, I can only imagine that you, people might not, they would block it out or have just no idea how to respond to trauma. Avoidance is a natural thing, right? Denial, it's, you know, how, it's a very natural it, response. Especially if, if, a, if a traumatic situation happened within a, a known family or, or neighborhood group or a setting, they, not that. It, so giving them the tools on how to recognize w what is the behavior of, of my child mm -hmm. and how do I cope and, and deal and, and move mm -hmm. them forward. Well, and, and also know that there are times when our caregivers have to find a new place to live. They don't have the economic support that they had a week ago. They, um, they ha are dealing with all their own grief and loss in terms of whatever has happened in terms of a destruction of the family unit. 
um, there's a lot of things to unpack. There might be a criminal investigation. There might be a child, um, children in new services investigation, which are all very important things, but it's all coming at a caregiver hard and fast. And so the more that we can do to support and say, we're gonna help walk you through this with you. We're gonna walk through, it's painful, but we're gonna get, we're gonna be with you and be able to support you all the way through it. That's really, that's really critical stuff. And do you, did you say earlier you have hotlines? Are you, somebody could call or? So we, we, we don't have a 24 hour hotline, but we do have our, our we have advocates on staff, all, you know, during normal business hours at all times. When it goes to, in terms of needing immediate help, definitely call Childline or call 911 if you need help immediately. That, and, then the, and then that system can assist you as well. I'm going to ask you about uh, the Brighter Tomorrow Center, but before I get there, I really want to impress upon anybody who's watching who this could potentially be new information. And I can't, I don't even want to ask this question, but I think it's valuable. What are types of abuse that people might not know are abuse? Oh, yeah, so. Um Often, when people talk about children's advocacy centers, there is a focus on child sexual abuse, where children have been sexually abused. Um, and I can tell you the statistics for types of abuse is that 90% um, of all types of abuse cases, the abuse is perpetrated by someone the child knows and trusts. So try to put that into a frame. It's like, that's pretty painful right there, that there's all that erosion of trust and safety immediately. But Child sexual abuse is a huge issue. We do see a lot of um, what we call um, exploitation via online, like the, the internet is a big exploitation avenue now. It is honestly just another avenue for perpetrators to be able to get access to kids in a different way than they did before the, you know, before the internet was such a big thing and before there were all these apps. I mean, perpetrators like can um, even engage with children playing a video game, right? I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere in terms of that. But there's also physical abuse. And physical abuse, um, in many ways, is, is very difficult because sometimes it can be just a one-time incident where it could be something where um, what started out as discipline just went horribly awry in some way. But, or it could be just a, a sequential, continuing, increasing levels of physical abuse. Um, but what I, what I think it's important for the public to understand is that young children, especially very young children, um, they don't really know that this is not the norm because they don't, have, right. they don't have a frame of reference in the bigger world around them. Because their family unit, especially before kids go to school, um, that's all they really know. And so a lot of times when we're working with really young children, they don't have words for what has occurred to them. They probably um, emotionally know they don't feel safe, or they're scared, or they're worried, but they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily say, on this day, this happened to me, and I know it's physical abuse. It's just not that clear cut. Now, that's why prevention education in the schools is really helpful, because if you feel like somebody is hurting you and you don't like what they're doing, then that's, you can tell someone, that might be the first time a child has ever heard that message, right? Um, and so those things are really important. The other thing, the things that are often even more gray, gray areas would yeah. be neglect. Neglect. Drug you use know, in the home. Uh, right. Is, is so a challenge. There's neglect. That's hard to know. Where do you draw that line? 
-hmm. And second would be, you don't have to physically abuse a child, but you can psychologically and verbally just change their whole outlook on themselves. Yeah. And that's hard, but that's why we talk about that these multi-layers, these multiple factors that are happening you know, within certain homes or mm -hmm. you know, certain family certain structures. And it's yeah. like very difficult to deal with because each personality, each child comes in with their own personality and then you have a, mm -hmm. a whole different set of experiences. Mm -hmm. And it does require a lot of background training, trauma-induced training. You know, you have to know what tools to pull out of your toolbox to help each child at what age. Yeah, and every case is different. The scenarios are different. There's some yeah. commonalities, of course, but every child is different and every family structure is different. So. Mm -hmm. You've got um, our child and family advocates and our therapists and our interviewers, they're all very adept at m navigating through that, those pieces. Um, and doing it in a child-friendly, as, as Irene said, trauma-informed way so that children come through that experience of being at the CAC, um, we want them to have a sense of relief and like, oh, okay. I feel better that I got to talk about it and I'm not in trouble or this, I, I feel like, okay, this might not be 100% great in my life, but it's not as bad as it was. Right, and that at sort least of thing. knowing somebody is there for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you have mm -hmm. the advocacy and, and just a support person, mm -hmm. yeah. whether you're a parent or unfortunately a child mm -hmm. going through or this. grandparents. Grandparents oh, yeah. are mm -hmm. stepping in and raising children. Yes, quite often. And I'm quite sure uh, another is blended families. You know, yep. maybe these are wonderful, amazing families. They blend, and there's one child that might not. So it, c it could look like anything. It can, and it does look like anything. Um, but at the bottom line is, you know, it's all, we're all in this together. This is a community. We are all mm -hmm. here to support each other. So um, you know, and we can all we can all work towards a brighter tomorrow. And maybe it's a child that. Um, their family suffering from food insecurities and you notice that child's going hungry or losing weight or, or that could be a place where you could step in and show them where those resources are in the community and just easy as let, let us help you. Right, exactly. So, and, and the thing that's different about CACs in terms of that service, like support service provision piece is that um, most most, but not, I'm not trying to make overly generalized statements, but many social service environments have um, a beginning, a middle, and an end. They are end data. They have mandates that said, we're going to do this. And then once we're done doing this, we're done. And so the thing about the CAC environment is we're done when you tell us we're done. We're, when a child in a family says, okay, we have everything you need, we need from you, okay. But that could be six months, it could be six weeks, it could be six years. That's up to the family to determine that. And then what we also find is that because our services are not end dated, a child in a family might be doing really well six months or a year after an allegation and they've put their pieces back together and they're, they're kind of working towards that healing place. But then children grow up and as they grow up, things change developmentally and emotionally, and maybe they need help again, and maybe a caregiver needs help. How, how do I address this? I knew how to talk to my eight-year-old about it. I'm not 100% sure I know how to talk to my 18-year-old about it. Right. Or my 18-year-old now is kind of getting out of the school environment. What do we do next? Because he or she is still not in a place where they're 100% solid on being able to cope with the trauma that they've experienced. So we're always there. We're always able to step back in um, as the family wants us to do, as the, as the child is I think is that is so important. Yeah. 
that, because that's really critical. Because there isn't an end date to trauma. Nope. You can no. just say. It's no. something you're going to. You should be good now. Yeah, you're, you're all better. That happened. And, and part of it, a lot of it is, it's we, as humans, we want it to be over, right? Of we course. want to say, okay, that's done. Um, we don't have to think about that ever again. And it's a natural thing for a lot of our caregivers to say, well, you know, this happened to me and I, I got over it. And, and we, we're really careful. We're, we're not judgmental or whatever. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, did you really? Are you sure about that? Because I can tell you as a survivor, I'm not always over it. Um, it could pop up or creep up at any time. Yeah, oh, so right. having, absolutely. So having the tools in ongoing. So you're right. The tools that you had at eight years old might not be applicable at 18 or right. 28 when right. you're starting your family or getting into a relationship. Absolutely the relationship piece. So puberty is a huge, like, cliff, yeah. you know, to, mountain to climb. Um, college is another one. Um, high school is Tricky. And formulating relationships that are congruent with where healthy. you want to be and healthy. Healthy relationships. Because if you go back into an established what you came from relationship, that's unhealthy. It can Just be. Just because it feels normal doesn't mean it's okay. That's exactly right. And that's one of the things that's, I think, hardest. Um, for It takes time to get to understand that yeah. place in and your life. Just because... A child has had some pretty awful experiences. That doesn't mean that there isn't hope. Oh, there there's is. Always. There is hope and healing. And that's the whole purpose behind the Brighter Tomorrow Center. So let's talk about what that does. Tell me about yeah, that center. So, um, you know, we, I, we said earlier we were founded in 2006. And since 2006, we have been in um, at um, a large Victorian home at 450 West Middle Street. And it is a large Victorian home but it's not large enough. Um, and at this yes. point, <laughs> because of the way that, that that facility works, we're only able to serve one family at a time when we really need, because of the increase in um, child abuse allegations and neglect allegations over time, we really need to be able to do more and have more space to do it in. Um, so being able to serve more than one child and family simultaneously, to be able to be able to offer mental health services at the same time we're offering forensic services and exams to another family, that's pretty critical. But also being able to do community outreach and prevention ed in a place that people can come to the Brighter Tomorrow Center and have all of those things happen. And they can happen at the same time and in the same spaces, you know, of course. Um, so the Brighter Tomorrow Center is about going to be about three times bigger than the one, the room, the space we have now. But most importantly, it is going to allow us to expand our services in ways that are really, really critical. Um, expanding prevention ed and community outreach, doing more to support the generational cycles of abuse in our community. So that's adult survivors as well as children. Um, continuing to enhance our mental health services and our child and, and child and family advocacy services. All of those things can happen in that space in a way, unfortunately, that we're not able to have them happening in our space at 450 West Middle Street. So that when that renovation is complete, we'll able, be able to do all of those things um, on a much larger scale, um, be able to support more people, but mostly add more service um, continuums. But at the same time, we're able to invite commu other community partners in to do things with us. Who would those community partners be? Perfect example is an event that we're going to do on the 21st, which is called the Express Yourself Teen Event. 
And to do that, we are partnering with Safe Spaces Adams County and Collaborating for Youth. And it is a teen event, so teens ages 12 to 17 can come in. And we have a whole bunch of different um, rooms and activities set up. So there's some crafts and there's a game room. There's a graffiti room where literally you Fun. can write on the walls. Um, <laughs> and, and we think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a photo booth, there's an improv room, there's sensory rooms, there's a chill room if you just want to chill. Um, our up, we have, this is, Brighter Tomorrow Center has three floors. So on the second floor, we have a cafe coffee house vibe going with open mic. There's just a lot so of different ask, things. So let me ask, is this on the 21st, bringing these teens to this location, is that just to give them a safe space and to let them know we're here and these are all the services we offer? Well, and just that we're here and you can express yourself because part of... Um, Part of preventing child abuse in a very, you know, in a very elemental way is when kids have resilience and they have support and they um, and they know that there's a community out there to help them. They have resilience that helps reduce the amount of child abuse in our community. So all of those things come to come together to be prevention activities, developing resilience. Um, but more than anything else, I think. And maybe it's for us who have a very soft spot in our heart for kids and teens, but it's not easy to be a kid, and it's not easy to be a teenager right now. It, I, I and so imagine. the more we no. can do to say, hey, we think you are awesome human beings, yeah. and here's a place for us for you to come in and just be yourself and express yourself, That uh, to me, that's just a beautiful thing. And they, they get to collaborate with other teens. and mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. The center, um, the the center at 224 Baltimore Street um, is, as we envision it, in need a lot of a remodeling. For one thing, it's three stories, it needs an elevator, we have to be handicapped accessible and yeah. compliant. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful um, front of the building, which isn't going to be Changed. altered at all, no. but the interior needs a lot of change in order to do everything that we hope to be able to accomplish and to do, while honoring the history of that building. It's right. been a private home, it's been businesses throughout the years and the, the generations. The Civil War era building. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it dates back nice. to the yeah. Civil War. So uh, yeah. we want to um, help the community in that respect too, by honoring that space. Right, so something that's been here since um, pre-Civil War times, actually there was always a building on that site since the late 1700s, early 1800s on Baltimore Street. But what more beautiful way to say, you know, that was the history, but this can now be the forever home of the Brighter Tomorrow Center, supporting children and families into the future. I think that's just really an awesome concept. I do too. It's There's exciting. so many other concepts that you talked about. And one of the ones I want to go back to and ask again, you go into schools or, or you speak how to prevent, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you let children know when you're there if they need you how to get in touch with you. Yeah, so it, it's really, um, when we talk about child abuse prevention education for children, it's really not about this is child abuse. We never would say this. This is child abuse and this is what you need to avoid. We're, that's never the concept. The concept is if you feel unsafe, you can talk about it. First and foremost, kind of know what's up. If something feels wrong or icky, that's really, it's really about empowerment. It's not, um, it's not so much about like drilling the rules about like this is this form of child abuse or this is that form of child abuse. And we want to make parents um, and caregivers really understand that it's just, it's empowering. 
Um, and that's the whole goal. But we are in the schools, um, we even are in pre-K. So pre-K through fifth grade, we are in all the elementary schools doing um, age developmentally grade appropriate kind of different versions of the same curriculum called Child Safety Matters. That is, um, you can Google that. All of the information is out on the Child Safety Matters website. It's a national curriculum. But also, if you are interested in learning more, we have information on our website. Or you can even talk to our prevention educator. Her name is Krista Long, and she does amazing work. Um, to put numbers on it, the last fiscal year, which ended June 30th, we did prevention edge in, in the schools for 4,542 kids. So that's 22% of the kids in Adams County under the age of 18. That's a lot of that kids getting lot. prevention education. We always want to do more, don't get me wrong, but that is, that is a lot of prevention ed that's happening. Um, and we believe it has an impact. I can tell you um, some of the fun things we do. We did the Halloween parade. Um, and we're, we're yes, going through Gettysburg there. and the Halloween parade and everyone's going, hi, Miss Crystal, because they all recognize her because she's in front of them, you know, and she was there in first grade and she's there in second grade and third grade and fourth grade. Mm. Um, not last year I was at um, Gettysburg High School doing, working in um, the juvenile justice like career tech area, um, just doing a presentation and I just asked, how many of you have been in Adams County in Gettysburg schools your whole your whole career, and probably about three quarters, maybe seven eighths of the class raised their hand. And I'm like, how many of you remember Miss Crystal? And like, they all <laughs> raised their hand. So not only do they remember that they got prevention ed, they got it, they got it maybe five or six times in their, in their career. And excellent. that repeating and kind of every year you add on a little bit more information. So yes. by the time you're in fifth grade, we're talking about internet safety. We're talking about bullying. We're talking about those kinds of things. It's so unfortunate but so necessary. Right. But again, we still want to do more adult education. So that's still again, really critical to yep. us. Yeah. Excellent work. So on so many different levels from family to past adult trauma mm -hmm. to current mm -hmm. trauma for children, mm -hmm. educationing pre mm -hmm. and just have healthy boundaries. Right. Something interesting is not not every county has a children's advocacy center. Right. It's not, not something that's required, but this community saw that need on their own over 15 years ago right. and went for it. And the original founders did an amazing job setting the stage for success and future. So Eli, I know that you probably come with a lot of numbers in your head. Do you have any statistics of where Adams County has been, where we're at, or? Yeah, so back in 2006, um, we opened in, we, we did our first forensic interview and advocacy supports for a, a, a teenage girl in September. It was actually September 19th, 2006. <laughs> wow. And, um, and in the, so in that first year, we probably, because September, in that first year in 2006, we probably served like 40 or 50 kids. Um, fast forward to last fiscal year, on average, we're always serving 200 plus kids a year in our center. Plus, we're adding on all of those other outreach activities. So um, our prevention ed and our uh, community outreach, we're reaching six or 7,000 people in person. We're doing resources. On average, we have about 15,000 website visits a month to our website. Um, for resources, because wow. if you haven't looked at our website yet, please do. It's very resource heavy. That was the whole intention. What of is your website? It. 
www.kidsagaincac.org. Um, there's and all kinds of information out there. We're on Facebook. On Facebook, and you can and Facebook Instagram, us and, and X. Okay. There's postings frequently with little just tips, what to do, you know, the holidays are coming up, right. what to look for. Yep. It's a great resource. More of our events, because our events calendar is always yep. out there. Um, and then also information on the Brighter Tomorrow Center and the plans that we have for that space as well. Or, you know, we're always happy to give a tour if people are interested in coming and seeing the space. Yeah. And you have a few more events. So we have the one on December 21st, which mm -hmm. is your teen event. Correct. And then um, in the new year, you have some speaker series, a trivia right. night, and an inner child exploration series. Yeah, so every month, um, we take maybe a, a month off in the summer. Um, but every month we do a speaker series event. So January, our art therapist, her name is Amanda Evans-Freet, will be talking about art therapy and, and how it helps kids with trauma. Um, she also likes to do a lot of art activities, so that will, that will be a factor in that. In February, um, Professor Ann Dowds from Gettysburg College, she is the chair, the chair of the um, public policy department, is going to be talking about her new book, which is, um, is, is a series of chapters on different aspects of juvenile justice and its impact on public policy and on kids. I was um, very honored to co-author one of the chapters with Dr. Dowds, and that chapter's on CACs. Wonderful. So we'll be talking about the, all of the book, but we will also probably have a little bit of a conversation about CACs and juvenile justice and how all and those things fit together. And it's important for people to learn about the policies that help protect our children or the gaps in the policies that our community needs to step up right, and right. be a voice for them. Right. And so also on January 11th, we are doing our annual trivia night, which is at Upper Crust in Gettysburg. That's always a fun night. Mm -hmm. a lot That's of a great teams. place for kids and teenagers it is, to hang and, out. And it's also like you put a team together of six, the food and beverage is always wonderful, but it's just a fun time. And these are free events that people can show up to, the, the teen events. Teen events is free, speaker series is always free. Any of our support groups are free. Uh, trivia night, there is a small fee because it's a fundraiser. Um, and then finally, I think we, you mentioned the Inner Child Exploration Series. We talked earlier about our Adult Survivor Series. So this is a support group um, for either survivors of child abuse or partners or family members of adults of, of, who suffered child abuse or were impacted by child abuse. And that is just intended for a group for adults to get together and just kind of maybe a little bit process what's, what's been happening, but really get a sense that they're not alone that in their journey. That is so important. Mm -hmm. to know you're not alone. Precisely. And, and we all know someone who's been impacted Absolutely. by child abuse. Absolutely. And th these people might ha have ideas, oh, this worked for me, or did you try that, or I know what you feel like. Mm -hmm. That is so important to have somebody say, I know what you feel like. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. And, and just, just that sense of um, that it reduces isolation, because isolation is a big part of kind of the trauma of child abuse is feeling isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so glad that I had this opportunity and that you've been with four and a half years, six years mm -hmm. with, four, yeah. yeah, with this center. So um, one more time, we're going to make sure we have your phone number and, and your website up. But for these great events for teens or somebody to reach out to you and say, hey, can you be a speaker at my school or at my organization? Mm -hmm. What is that website again? So our website is www.kids, K-I-D-S, again, A-G-A-I-N-C-A-C.org. 
or you can just simply call our office. You can Google us, Adams County Child um, Advocacy Center, but the number is, at the office is 717-337-9888. Well, thank you so much. Elida Murray, Irina Powell. Thank you. At the Children's Advocacy Center. Thank you, thank you. so Great. much. We appreciate Happy to it. be here. All right. Yeah. And we will look forward to your support to this great organization into 2012. So thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget, it takes all of us to keep our community safe, vibrant, and thriving.